hello and welcome to the next episode of The Podcast, a cannabis podcast for budding enthusiasts. As always, you're joined by your boy, Heavy Days, here from the Upside Down Library, and we want to give a shout out to our incredible sponsors. Seeds here now, all the latest drops, the hottest breeders, rare vault packs, and a guarantee on satisfaction, not just germination. Why would you go elsewhere? Well, if you're living in the EU, you might check out our buddies at Simply Souvenirs. With a hand-selected range of local and international breeders, they're sure to get you sorted no matter what you're after. Check them out. Got to check out our friends at Copet Biological Systems. They have all the best pests and predators to keep your garden pest and pathogen free. Check out the Spidex Vital if you've got spider mites, or the Apiparem if you've got aphids. Got to check out our friends at Copet Biological Systems. Likewise, you've got to keep your room in check, guys. Our friends at Pulse Sensors have just the unit for you. Pulse Sensors will measure all of the hidden variables you don't normally track to ensure you're getting the biggest harvest, the best resin, tracking all of the metrics you would forget about. Check them out, guys. Pulse Sensors. Shout out, guys. And a big shout out to our friends at the Patreon gang. You are the lifeblood of the show. Without you, we couldn't make this happen. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you. So today, we got John from Purple Scientific here to chat about the Purple Pro unit. I think it's a cool unit, guys. Check it out. I hope you enjoy this one. Let's get into it. Alrighty, gang. We're back for another one. And on this episode, we are very grateful to have none other than John Hunt from Purple Scientific joining us to talk all about the Purple Pro today. A big thank you and welcome to John for joining us. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for your time today. It's great to uh, be on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for joining us. First question I'd love to ask you, tell me a little bit about you. What was your first experience with cannabis? Oh, wow. First experience with cannabis uh, was probably like fifth or sixth grade here in the States. Uh, one of my friend's older brothers had some and we ended up on like a Friday or Saturday night in grade school. Uh getting completely blasted and staying at his house and, and watching movies. And pretty much ever since then, it was uh, not always a daily part, but definitely something that had been been regular throughout the years, uh, grade school, high school, college, uh, and even into now with, you know, being an adult. But I guess that was the that was the first true experience that I actually like seeing it, smelling it, smoking it, um, all of that stuff, which shit, that would have been like 93 three or 94 something like that so a long time ago that's amazing and do you happen to remember what was like the first kind bud you got in terms of like a, a strain name or like what was sort of going around at the time so not in grade school really i think it was kind of hit or miss on whatever we could find being that that young and finding stuff out i will say that once i got out of college or out of high school and into college uh in baltimore on the east coast there was definitely some some things, hazes and, and sours and diesels and things like that would the, would come around, not all the time, but every so often. Uh, and there definitely would be kind of like a heads up that there's some there's some good smoke coming through. Those would be the first ones, which was kind of like you know 2000 to 2003 and there. I mean, in in high school, being in the middle of the states in Missouri, there wasn't a ton. I I do remember. You know, at one point it was like driving 45 minutes each way to pick up a bag that had stems and seeds in it and stuff like that from from way back in the day. Um, so probably the opposite of kind bud in uh, in high school compared to what I was able to find uh, being in college on the East Coast. Oh man, I'm jealous. Those East Coast guys talk uh, very loyally about some of the hazes they got back in the day. That's that's cool. So. Um, I know you've had significant industry experience. Do you want to give us a little bit of an idea of how you sort of came to be working with Purple Scientific and a little bit on your background? Yeah, so, um, yeah, I mean, I so I live in Denver, Colorado. Uh, and since 2008, 2009, I've been involved with the medical industry here in Colorado. Um, I lived in a, a lovely little place called Aspen and helped get the first patient collective together and had a, a grow facility there that we operated out of for a while. Uh, then moved to Durango and started a dispensary there and had a big uh, grow facility. And that kind of 
worked its way from being in the mountains to, to moving down to Denver. So in 2012, when we moved to Denver, um, I worked on various different projects, breeding projects, grow facilities. Um, and then in 2014, I was hired to kind of start, staff, train, and set up uh, the first recreational testing facility in Colorado, which was called Steep Hill, Colorado. Um, and through that work of about eight to nine months, uh, that took me into a different aspect with purchasing dispensaries here. So we had a shop in Denver. We had a shop in Colorado Springs. Uh, also had grow facilities in each one of those cities. Uh, had a, a production lab that was in Colorado Springs as well. And that was pretty much like 2014 all the way through 2019. Uh, and currently I still am involved with a, a place that's in Arkansas and just finished up a, a long part of a place that's in uh, Portland, Maine. So it's been different aspects, whether it's working on uh, training staff or staffing up or designing facilities or overseeing grow facilities and dispensaries. Um, and that kind of brought it to Purple. So I am from St. Louis, Missouri, where Purple is headquarters. And the guys that founded Purple found me through some friends and we talked about that. And I am the person who did all the beta testing. So we took the first couple Purple devices and worked them through our facility in Denver and in Colorado Springs. Uh, and all the other facilities that I, I worked with after the beta testing got a device as well. So Arkansas, Maine, uh, Washington, Alaska, and all the different places that we were working in. So when I got out of the Colorado industry, uh, Purple was looking for a global salesperson and also needed somebody that was more uh, cannabis saturated, I guess, as opposed to it being science and engineering. They wanted to have an aspect that was kind of uh, – core culture cannabis and that's where i fit in and i've been with them i mean i started with them in 2019 uh i took a little bit of time off last year because we had our, our second kid and then was back at it again with this year and we've done everything from the u.s to europe to canada to mexico uh we just finished up in thailand um i i think it's safe to say that i'm, I'm hoping at some point soon we'll have something in australia but we uh we kind of focus globally on how many countries we can get it into and obviously my background of cultivation and breeding and nutrients and all the different stuff that's kind of how we use it on the sales aspect uh one to teach people why they could have a device and also how how best to use the device and that's gotten me to where we are today which is a a long strange trip for sure Wow, what an incredibly extensive uh, range of history you have there, and, and congrats on the new child recently. That's exciting. Um, you, you segued perfectly to what I wanted to sort of start with, which was how long has the unit been in development for, and what was the sort of process around that like from your perspective at least? So the two gentlemen that started the company, uh, they worked with a different outfit that used near-infrared spectroscopy, and and. I can, from here on out, we'll say NIRS, um, but near-infrared spectroscopy is the actual sensor and what makes the unit work. Um, so in layperson terms, there's a, a tungsten bulb that blinks, it reflects light, there's a sensor that captures that reflection, uh, and infrared light is not something that we get to see with the human eye. So there's a reflection and kind of a, a pattern that gets picked up by this sensor, and because of that reflection and what that sensor picks up, that's how it's able to delineate what potency, moisture content, extract flowers, et cetera, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so there was a company in 2015 and 2016 that was using near-infrared spectroscopy, and it was hellaciously expensive and had to be kind of kept on a, a tabletop, and uh, vibrations and walking didn't work well with it. Uh, and the two guys that started Purple worked at that company and kind of watched it fail and why it failed. One, price point. Two, application. And also, I think a big part of it is not being as mobile um, as most people would want it to be. So in 2017, they started working on the Purple device, which is about the size of a hockey puck. It does fit in a normal pocket or a cargo pocket. It fits in a backpack, etc. And the development was, at least when I got brought in, um, I was contacted because they knew friends of mine in St. Louis and they needed to try to get this thing on cannabis and they had been working on data models and all of the engineering and cloud space and, and how to actually make it work with a device that was small enough and an app on the phone. 
Um, so, I mean, I was, they had done some testing with cannabis, uh, but I was the first person to kind of like really kick the tires and do things. So we brought it in and within the first week we were trying to do a hundred tests on it. Um, wrote up some SOPs, you know, any flower that would come out, we would test all of the, the different genetics. It also would go to regulated testing in Colorado. So we would have those lab results that would come back. Um, and that's what I did is I kind of supplied purple with, this is what this lab has said, and this is what we found out. Um, and then we started getting into, you know, how much more we could do with it. Obviously, harvested, cured flour is great, um, but there's there's a lot of knowledge and a facility to be able to check something in week two of flour, week four of flour, week six of flour, um, and getting into like pheno hunts and and breeding and uh, keeper selection. It was like, you know, how much more data can we get? And and I told Purple at that point, I was like, you know we have to pay for our data right now through a regulated lab. And that could cost us 60 to 80 grand a year. The fact that I can have a bunch of other data that's somewhat free at a certain point with unlimited testing allows me to understand certain things about the facilities. So, you know, we would, we could figure out when we needed to change bulbs. We could figure out that in the winter time when it was colder out, we would have a little bit higher potency than when the summertime and it was super hot. And we hadn't changed filters in the the heating and air conditioning units. And you can get into, you know, hot, cold, hot corners, cold corners, how your irrigation system is working. So, you know, we noticed plants at the back of the table weren't getting as much water or plants at the front of the table closest to the reservoir were getting a ton of water. And we could, you know, kind of equate what we could see in the facility with what the potency was doing. Um, and those things were, were feedbacks that got back to purple. And we had it in, I think at one point we were doing almost a hundred tests a week in four different states on four different facilities. But it was a blessing that some of those facilities had the same genetics somehow that they found in their state and put them in the facility to try to grow good crops at every one that would have the same genetic, whether it was lemon G or orange mints or uh, cookies and cream, um, rude boy OG, like a lot of the things that, people really wanted to smoke at that time, which was 2018 to 2020, um, kind of like the after the rise of the Jungle Boys and the Orange Cookies and a bunch of other things that had occurred on the West Coast, things had migrated around the country. Um, so that was the development. Uh, in 2019, it, it went into actually like public sales. And that's when I kind of started with them as, as the global sales director was because of all that background in beta testing it was then, well, you know, I can talk to the people that want to get this, whether they're home growing or a facility. And as I say, you know, whether it's black, white or gray market, the more data you can have, the better for any business owner. Um, and that's kind of where it went from development to what it does now. And I mean, I think there are probably over 100,000 different test results in the database. Um, it is ran on a cloud-based system it does work on your phone the unit can go anywhere so you know i've tested stuff in the middle of a field and i've tested stuff in a basement and i've tested stuff in a facility and i've taken it everywhere when i travel at least for work we always have a device somewhere and now that we can do extracts it's kind of the same thing that we're testing a lot of rosin and a lot of hashish and, and other things that are happening but i would say that you know is it at least two and a half devoted years of development but prior to that they had another two years of understanding near-infrared spectroscopy and kind of how that was a benefit and here in the states uh the fda the food and drug administration has endorsed near-infrared spectroscopy for many different things so uh the amount of hops and beer the amount of moisture and cat litter, uh, the amount of, so I mean, near-infrared spectroscopy can literally do anything from counting to reflection uh, to what we use in the cannabis industry. So it's a big thing. So most John Deere tractors have near-infrared spectroscopy somewhere within them. And that's how they let you know that if, you know, the tire treads get low or something else is happening with the device. Um, so it can be trained on a lot of different things. And in the States, that was kind of the the thought from the science background is that one, it is used in production, and two, it's a, a great way to train this device to to do it for cannabis people that is affordable at that point. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, what a range of different avenues we could choose to discuss it in. 
I, I I totally agree. I'm I'm a big fan of um, infrared spectroscopy. I've seen it in many different applications. It's definitely a phenomenal technology. I would love to talk about how the unit is set apart from other units because whenever I read people discussing the purple, I think that some of the maybe points they raise, which they think maybe is why they wouldn't get it, I think they're, they're not correct, most of them. I think they may be quoting aspects of a different unit that they don't like. So, for example, I've heard a lot of people say the purple doesn't give you real results. It's just matching it to a database. And I'm like, no, that's that's not true. There's like a white paper online and you can read through it and it explains how it actually works. What are some of the things that set the unit apart from some of its competitors in your mind? The term white paper is definitely from you know the science world, which I don't think... Uh, civilians, lay people, non-science people understand, but a white paper is a document that's written, goes into peer review, is fact-checked, and then after that it's able to be published, and it's supposed to be rooted in fact for people to know that. So that's one thing that we do at Purple that's a little different. Um, We do work with labs all over the country in the States, um, and soon we'll be working with a couple labs that are in Europe. Um, And the white paper that you're referencing, I think, talks about there is a variance within the device, and there's also a variance of the device next to uh, UHPLC, HPLCs, uh, GCs, and other equipment that is found in a regulated testing lab. So the variance of the device itself is actually a 10% of the readout value, which means that if the device reads 20, you're really looking at like 18 to 24. Now, contrasting that variance to an HPLC or other device variances most of them are looking at like a 20% variance. And some of that comes down to calibration techniques and use techniques and how they dissolve and homogenize things before it goes into the HPLC or into the UHPLC. So with the purple, you grind up the flower, the flower sits right on the sensor, the light blinks, and it takes a, a graph of that light. When you send something to a regulated lab, there's a person that homogenizes that into a solvent And then that gets sprayed into the device at a certain point to be read. So there's some other things that happen when you're uh, diluting or liquefying something to then have it ran through a a different type of system as opposed to near-infrared. So I think that's some of the misconception that people understand is that a regulated lab is regulated by that state. There is no set thing. You know, like here in the States, we talk about it a lot with cars. Like if you take your car to an emissions place and they check the emissions – All across the United States, it's the same emissions check. That is not the case in cannabis testing. What's tested in Oklahoma could be different than what's tested in Colorado, can be different than what's tested in Missouri. Um, And so I think the white paper is what we kind of do to have a little bit of an anchor in science that allows people to understand, yes, this is how the device itself works. And on CBD, we're less than 1% away from an HPLC And with THC, because the number is larger, we're at 1.9% either way. Um, And we also work with different labs almost every month to calibrate our machine with theirs. And also now we're seeing a lot of labs that want to calibrate their machine with ours because in the science world, near-infrared spectroscopy has a little bit more of a stable aspect because you don't use solvents. You don't have to homogenize things. It's actually a, a constant sample that is put on there. And with the purple, I mean, you grind up the weed, you put it in the sample holder, it does it. You know, I have a lot of people that as soon as they test it, they put that into a bowl and, and smoke it. So it's not damaged. It's not thrown away. Um, that's another thing I think with the regulated labs that kind of changes a little bit is that when you send them a sample and they do all that, you can never really see that sample again or use it again. Um, and I also think a big misconception especially in the States, which I, I see kind of seeping into other markets right now, is that people say there's no way that that's right. And you're like you were saying, it matches this to a database. Um, there's a graph on every single sample that comes out that is unique. Yes, there are 100,000 other graphs that we know, but every time you calibrate that machine and every time you put in a new sample, that graph is unique from peaks and valleys and where spikes are and how it all works. And I think that's also just a lot of people don't understand near-infrared as opposed to HPLCs or grass chromatology and all the other different aspects that happen. Uh, And, you know, three years ago, regulated labs could put their foot down and say that it was a 30% 
and everybody would say, yeah, it is. I think a lot of people know now that regulated labs are going to say it's 36% because the client wants to say it's 36%. And there's not really a bias with us. We're not in the room running the Purple Pro for the people. Like the Purple Pro is ran by that person. It gives them a number that is unbiased. And also, I mean, you know, there's not people paying us a hundred grand a year to run all of their samples. And I think when you have labs that are for profit, there's a little bit of human error and bias that kind of comes into some of that. So I think that's that's part of it. And I mean, I, I'll tell you, like I tell everybody, you know, you can you can hit up my DM, you can hit up my email. I talk about this all day with people, but a lot of it is believing is seeing it. So I see a lot of test results from labs and I see a lot of test results from purples. And I still, to this day, I don't think there's a single human that can tell me a 33% THC is different than a 26% THC in a blind taste test. I don't, I, I see why they do it for sales, but I don't think that there's a human palate that can tell me the difference within four to 6% on any, now a 12% and a 28%, I get it. I think most people can tell the difference. I, I have yet to see somebody that could tell me this one is the 32 and this one is the 28 or something like that. Yeah, some interesting discussion points there for sure. And um, we'll dive into that a bit more. I did want to ask you specifically, this was one of the questions I wanted to ask because uh, full disclosure to everyone listening, you know, the, the crew at Purple were kind enough to send me a unit to play around with and test out so that I could talk about it. And I think it's a great unit, hence why we're having this chat. I found pretty quickly that some of my favorite buds were not testing above like 23%. You know, they were they were in that sweet spot in my mind, which was like sort of 20 to 23. Most of my favorite buds are around there. Some of my favorite sativas are maybe 18, 19, a little less, but still in that same realm. And it got me wondering, you know, like what you said, a lot of these 36% tests you read, you know, I just, I can't accept that as truth, to be honest. So I wanted to ask you specifically, and, and sorry, I should add, I had that exact same thought you mentioned. Like when I'm doing these tests, there's no one in the room knows I'm doing these. Like, there's no reason for me to suspect any bias on Purple's part because, you like, you don't know who's doing what at any time. So it made me think. You must have seen a lot of Purple tests. What is the highest bud you've seen tested on Purple in terms of the actual percentage it registered? And what do you think is like? Because you know, you see labs saying 36 or whatever. What is the highest percentage you would just accept as a believable figure before you're like, you know what? I just have reservations. Anything could be that high. Uh, yeah, great questions. So first, you know, on our flower model right now, which is about to be updated, if it does register over 30%, it says greater than 30. So we don't do anything technically over 30. I have seen some some flowers in the past year that have hit that over 30 mark. Now, I didn't analyze any samples to see if they had been rolled in key or not. I, you know, I'm not like they're showing me a bud. It's mostly somebody screenshotting their result and sending it to us. So at that point, I think whatever they put on that sensor probably did register over 30. And I think to your point about your favorite buds and the effect and the potency, there's a whole different universe of terpenes that kind of interacts with how the cannabinoids and the terpenoids work together. And I think that's a whole different discussion on why certain things feel certain ways, right? Like that mercine level of above 0.3 or below 0.3 and and how that works with indicas and sativas. Um, that's a whole different thing that I get into a lot when we talk we talk to breeders. And I think you're right. Like most sativas probably register in that 18 to 22% range, but they have a whole different terpene profile that makes it a different effect on on a person. And I also think the same about a lot of indicas. I think and this is my complete personal opinion. But unfortunately to me, most of the stuff that people are smoking nowadays is a hybrid of some sort. There's not a lot of true indica gene or true sativa gene in a lot of the stuff that people get that they grow. So, you know, there's a lot of seeds being made. There's a lot of genetics out there. It's almost like uh, dogs where uh, I would say 93% of them are all mutts of some sort. There may not be purebreds anymore. And I think that is where the, the terpene effect comes in and and changes a lot of the stuff. Like myself, I really like citruses and, you know, limonene and, and all kinds of different things that I enjoy when I smoke. And that gives me a certain effect, whether it's a 18%, a 22%, or a 28%. Um, and I guess the highest value that I would say, and, and again, this is just after seeing, I mean, I, I can probably say in the past 
eight years, I've seen at least a quarter of a million results. I may even be able to say I've seen a half a million results on different stuff just because of my work. I mean, when it, when there's stuff that's in that 27, 28 range, usually if I get to actually see the flower, I'm like, that's really good, bud. And it's mostly because of the green thumb or cultivator that made it knows what they're doing with the recipe and their environment. I think you could give that same genetic to somebody else and they would never touch 27. They'd probably hit 22, 23. Um, but you can noticeably see when bud is really good. And then you can also see like a lot of the PGR and the stuff that isn't necessarily as, as grown because of a green thumb. And it's more because of what they're throwing in the water. I don't see all those PGRs really topping the charts on a lot of stuff. Now the bud looks great and it's super dense. It feels like a golf ball. I mean, it's what a lot of people make it into on like that West coast feel, um, that stuff, you know, I would say 24, 25. I don't know. I believe that there's probably going to be plants that could hit that 30 mark or 30 plus mark. I know that hashish and concentrates and, you know, loud resins and all this different stuff are hitting, you know, 80 plus, 95 plus, 99, whatever you want to call it on the distillate. Um, so, I mean, I think there's, there's obviously an increase in flower potential to be higher because concentrate numbers are continually getting more stable at a higher level. Um, but me personally, I, I would say most of the stuff that I see a 30 plus percent result, I would assume is in that 27, 28 range. Um, and unfortunately I hear all kinds of backdoor stories about, you know, they take the sample off the plant from the best plant and they, you know, run it in the trim bin and roll it around and keep and send it off to the lab and hitting 34s or the lab is able to let them know when they have haven't calibrated the device and it's probably best to get in some samples before we run calibration next week. I think that's where the whole money and the greed and the for-profit messes up a lot of stuff. But yeah, I mean, I, my personal, I, you know, my sweet spot that I tell everybody is if I, if I can find the right terpene percentage and it's 25 to 27, I, you know, I would, I would purchase and smoke that weed all day long till the cows come home because I know that's the sweet spot for myself. I think it's different. There's some people that like, the florals and the berry flavors. Some people like the citrus flavors, you know, anything I think that has that gassy, musky kind of East coast diesel top to it. Um, you know, that could be in that 19 to 21 range, but that terpene profile is going to give you the effect that you want. I think that's, that's a difference on, you know, how, how far you want to get into these genes, which you guys at the podcast do a lot of, which is awesome. Um, but I think that, you know, everybody wanting to know a number, it's hard to work that number, but I mean, yeah, I, I would say the top is, you know, that 27 to 29 is what I would assume most of the top stuff is. And I think most people's sweet spot is, you know, 23 to 26. That's when you see, and I would say just by means and medians and how math works, that's the most of the weed that you see. You see some great stuff on one end of the bell curve. You see some really bad stuff on the other end and the stuff that's in the middle is what you're going to see the most of. Yeah, what a great answer. That's um, that's that echoes many of the real life experiences I've had. I've got a, a buddy shout out to the garden. He uh, he he saw the purple unit you guys gave me, and he quickly bought his own and he tested his his best buds. And this guy's a really good grower, and it came out at twenty seven percent. And I was like, well, there you go. That's that's the new highest percentage I've seen. But I believe it because I've tried his bud, and it's as you said, it's it's in that top tier where you're like, I'd love it. What's interesting is when I first started thinking about the unit in theory, I wondered, is this going to feed the paradigm of people chasing numbers? And then quite shortly after I actually got the unit, for me at least, it was the opposite. It largely confirmed what I already knew, which was that some of my favorite strains... I didn't think they were the most potent. It was more about the effect that I enjoyed. And so to me, it might sound a bit counterintuitive, but I sort of felt like it it reaffirmed to me that I'm not chasing numbers. The things I like is the things that I smoke and I say, hey, this is great. And, it, and the number never really mattered. Do you feel like that's one of the ways which purple will change the market? Because I thought there is a big discussion in the community at the moment about how not so much like me and you, the real, like, you know, um, down the rabbit hole, really hectic advocate, but the more average consumer who does walk into a dispensary and just sees numbers, you know, do you think that um, we might be able to change some of the mindset through showing people that 
some of the buds they really like may not actually be like 30%, for example. And so like numbers are important, but they're not the be all end all. Yeah. I mean, I think that's at least what we see here. Um, there's a lot of states that start out and the higher percentage cannabis is sold at a higher price. So I feel like as a customer, you're already stuck in that box, right? Like you have 20 bucks. So are you going to buy one gram of 20%? Are you going to buy two gram of 15%? So I mean, the the decision-making process at the counter to pay, buy something at dispensary is already kind of slanted that way, unfortunately. And if you knew that the numbers weren't 100% true, uh, maybe that would change your buying decision. I do think that within... I, I would say within like 30 to 36 months of any state starting, you see things start to change from a supply and demand status, right? Like there's more harvest, there's more flour, there's more things available to purchase. So then the pricing starts to change and people have sampled many different things. So, you know, it's, it's always funny when you hear about a lot of Blue Dream or Green Crack and certain genetics that here in the States kind of get like that noob starter, whatever, bad rap you start to notice that those are the ones that fall in that middle of the road on the potency, but they have the effect that people want. And I think that that's where the education comes in is that there are a lot of brands and companies that are going to educate customers that it's not about the number. It's about the effect. And I usually try to win training or or speaking with bud tenders and dispensaries. You know, it's just like everything else. Like when you eat sour cream and onion chips, you really like sour cream and onion flavor. It's not the fact that it's the best potato. It's the fact that you like the terpene profile. And I tell a lot of people, you know, I, I would tell them to, to purchase on their nose more than on the, the number itself. If you like how something smells, check it out. That doesn't matter if it's a 20% or a 27% or a 13%. If you like the, if you like the flavor, you're going to enjoy that. And there's also this, you know, it kind of like looms in the background, but the tolerance changes too, right? As you have exposure to more cannabis, your tolerance changes. So anything can knock your socks off when you start. But after, you know, 30 to 36 months of regularly using cannabis, your tolerance goes up a little bit and your purchasing starts to change. Oh, I always need something that's at least 20%, but smells like gas. Well, that may not always be on the, the shelf. So we got this other one that's 20%, but it smells like cherries. And I think that's something that the education of the customer also changes. But unfortunately, there's still a lot of places that sell based on the number. And if the number was backed by some stable, concrete understanding, I think it'd be different. Like when you go and buy a 32-ounce soda, it's always supposed to be 32 ounces. Some places may put a lot more ice in it, so you get less liquid. Some places may not put ice in it, so you get more liquid. But that cup's always 32 ounces. You know, you could buy a 34% in Oklahoma it's not the same as a 34% in California and it's not the same as a 34% in Oregon. And unfortunately that's what, you know, kind of messes up the buying experience for a lot of people. But I would agree that I think with the purple, a lot of people think it's going to be about the number. And I, and I tell people that all the time, like I get it. If you guys want to know the highest number and also as a person that knows the device, if you want to get the highest number, then there's a certain way to do that. You got to pick the flower on the top with the most light penetration and grind that up. And it's got to be a cola and you can get the biggest number. But if you want to get real about it, you want to homogenize that plant. So take some lowers, some middles, some tops, grind it all up, mix it all together and test that. That's going to give you the average of the plant, not what the best one is. Now, as a grower, I always want to smoke the best cola that's on the best plant. That's why you're doing it, right? Like that's the that's the filet mignon. That's the best cut. But at a certain point, you run out of that, and then you're smoking ground beef and all the the hot dogs and everything else that come from the plant. So might as well know what your numbers are for the whole thing. But I do think that most people that get the purple that are like yourself or or me, it's not about trying to get to that thirty plus number. It's about all right. I really like these genetics, and this is what they're coming out at. But if I did this, this, this in my grow room, could I get 2% higher or could I get a percent higher? And I think that that educates a lot of people, but I hope it goes away from the numbers. And I'm a guy that sells a device that gives you numbers. So, you know, that's very contradictory to what I do for my living. But as a cannabis advocate, you know, I think numbers are cool for everybody to understand the data. I don't think that's the foundation of the triangle. You know, I think the terpenes and the genetics and everything else that happened I think the potency in that data is something that people need to know, and a lot of people don't have access to get that number. 
So I think that's that's where it comes into play. But I, I would agree with you. I, I, I don't think numbers are going to be that important five, ten years from now. I think it's going to be terpene numbers that are important or flavonoid numbers that are important or whatever technology comes out next that can do more to understand the plant. Those will continue to be important at that point. Yeah, what a brilliant answer. I love that. I love that. I, uh, I did want to ask you, there is a very healthy community of users who... I don't know how to phrase this. They sort of are developing their own SOPs for how to test the product. It's like, you know, the hardcore purple fans. And uh, shout out to my buddy, uh, Plant Based 978 Mass C. He, he was the one who actually introduced me to the unit. He bought it and uh, he was like, hey, man, this is a cool device. Have you seen it? And that was what sort of stimulated us to get in touch. But he gave me some tips and he said, oh, you know, I, when I test samples, I grind them up. I put them in the like the little black overlay uh, holder that you put on top of the unit to mount it. Um, and then he says, before I test it, you know, I, I take that black unit off and I quickly give the sensor a clean and then I put the black overlay back on top. For people who have the unit, they'll know exactly what we're talking about right now. And and it got me realizing that there are you know people trying to figure out like the most optimal way to test the samples. Do you have a certain little protocol you run through for how you test the sample and would you be willing to share? I'll run through what I would say I, I tell people to do. For, there's one for home growing and there's one for obviously a larger facility. So on the home growing aspect, what I tell most people to do is one, it, so the device comes with, you're talking about a black overlay, we call that the sample holder. And it lays on top of the device and makes sure that your sample is right on the sensor. Um, and we say a third of a gram to half of a gram. What I will tell you to do is, is first on sample prep, uh, we just put a video up on our social media, but you actually want to grind the cannabis with the funnel pointing up. A lot of people put the funnel right on that thing and grind it, and it doesn't get as fine as it needs to. So you actually grind with the funnel on the grinder and give it you know, five, six, seven turns, get it real fine. Then you're going to put that into the overlay, like you were talking about the sample holder. And then I take my pinky. And I just push it down on the top a little bit. And what that does is it makes sure that the whole sensor is in contact with cannabis. Now, prior to doing this, I have suggested to some people you can use an isol alcohol wipe and give the sensor a little wipe if you don't want true cross-contamination. Uh, it does come with a brush, so you can just scrub it off if you'd like. But going into you know science as opposed to non-science. And as I say it, I'm like, there's the science grower and then there's the non-science grower. So for the science grower, I tell them to calibrate it after they do the ISO wipe every time. Go ahead and calibrate it. It takes another 15 seconds, but you know it's calibrated. It's on a white reference. It gives it to you. So I'm going to hit it with an ISO wipe. Then I'm going to put on the puck, which is the calibration puck, calibrate it, take that off, put on the sample holder, grind it upside down, put it in there, tap it with the pinky, put the thing on it and hit run. And that would be one complete test right there. Now, after I run it that one time, I'll then run that same sample probably two or three times. And then I'll have most likely at least two of the same numbers. I may have three different numbers depending on how it all works with our variants. So what I'm saying is you could get a 20, a 21, and a 19. Well, your average is 20 at that point. You want to do those in technically for science talk, it needs to be five, seven, nine, et cetera. In the cannabis world, I tell a lot of people, as long as you're doing three, you're doing more than one. And I understand everybody's in a hustle to try to get stuff done. So that would be the home growing aspect. On the large facility aspect, we're going to have them grind up all their samples and keep them on pieces of paper and label all those pieces of paper. And then they're doing an ISO wipe and like every fifth or every 10th test, they're going to do a calibration again. But after every sample, they're going to do an ISO wipe or some of them use like, you know, an ISO spray bottle and spray it down. Um, same type of thing, though, before you start calibrate it, your fifth or your tenth or whatever, start working in a calibration step. And then you know that the unit has been calibrated after a certain amount of tests all the time. But the same thing would come into play. We would tell them in large facilities that you run want to run each sample five times, record those five in your database. Then you can go back and see what it is. Um, and even at that point, I get into the, an aspect. We have a notes section in the app, which you know about. Uh, but we get into some of that coding, you know, what room number, what row, what table, what genetic, and we're able to kind of get them into a standardized aspect. So Purple as a company doesn't have an SOP that we give out with the device. But if you ever contact us, depending on what you want to have done with the device, we can get in to an SOP. 
So, you know, we're talking about homogenizing crops and doing it that way. If you want to go at the biggest number, like I've said before, you take the best coal on the top of the biggest plant that has the most light overlay, that's always going to be your biggest potency number. Um, and then, you know, if you want to get your least potency number, which some people are into, go into your lowers and take some of your popcorn and grind those up and check those out. And then you'll have your top of the mountain and your valley. You can kind of understand how your canopy works within itself. Um, but I mean, yeah, if anybody has any questions or they want to talk about sampling, sample prep, how to use the device for certain stuff, we're always available for those talks. And I, I think you're right, though. There, there are people that have multiple sample holders. So, you know, they're only going to use the sample holder with one genetic and then take that off. Uh, and a lot of the large facilities do that as well. They'll buy, you know, two devices and five sample holders and a bunch of different grinders. And there's somebody cleaning the grinder and doing an ISO wash on that before they do another one. That happens a lot in the lab setting. Um, and, you know, we can even get into how you got to rinse it out with three different types of water and all that BS and, and stuff that obviously is more scientific. But we've dealt with that person in a white coat all the way down to, you know, myself being barefoot with long hair in my own garden trying to test out what I want to do. But, yeah, any of those will work. Um, and depending on what you want to do, we, we can advise how that may be better or worse on what you're trying to do for an SOP. Yeah, that's great. And just to clarify, because you sort of touched on it, um, do you know of dispensaries or grow ops that use the purple as their primary testing unit and like don't really engage in like say HPLC or GCMS anymore, or do you think it's it's more of like a companion tool for other things as well? Well, so I know in the states you have to use third-party regulated testing for your labeling. So I can't say that anybody has replaced that in the regulated lab. Um, I do know in the gray and the black market, there are people that are using a purple and not sending stuff out to testing labs anymore. And I do know in the white market here that there are probably at least 20 off the top of my head that are using it internally because it's cheaper. So they can, every harvest, you know, they're only going to send the sample in that has to get sampled because it's going to cost them $400. They're still running a bunch of tests and probably before harvest and after, before harvest, at harvest and in the cure, so our device does measure moisture content and water activity. Uh, so here in Colorado, there's a term called the Colorado crunch. But if you leave any weed out here, it gets super dry because we're at 6,000, 8,000 feet and there's no humidity. I mean, today, I think outside of my house is like 10%, 8% humidity. Um, so there's a lot of people that are checking throughout the cure, not necessarily for the potency to rise as it will in curing anyways, but more on that moisture content. When they get down to that 10 to 12 they know it's perfectly cured and they want to start putting it in their cans to seal it up or putting it in their containers or their jars or whatever. So there are a lot of dispensaries in the States currently that use it as a companion to potency testing or what we would call like a full lab test. They have to do potency. They have to do microbiobials, heavy metals, pesticides. Terpenes are not mandatory anywhere. So that's a whole different conversation. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of them. And in fact, of those 20, I think four or five of them are multi-state operators that probably amount to 50 plus facilities across the country. And I know that there's a device in every one of their facilities because that's part of what I, I deal with for work. That's fantastic. I love that. And you, you just, you've touched on concentrates earlier, but you've just mentioned terpenes now. I've, I've heard rumors that uh, terpenes are going to be something which will be able to be tested in the future. Are you able to tell us any more about that or is it under lock and key? Uh, I mean, it's somewhat lock and key. So we, we have an extract model that will come out with the same device. So that's just a software update. We also have a, a new update coming on the flowers, which will be about potency and other things that it can do. In the terpene conversation, the only thing I can say is that unfortunately the terpene testing will not happen with near infrared spectroscopy because of the viscosity and the liquid of terpenes does not reflect that well so it would be a different device i think a lot of people can understand with that sentence that there's a lot of things being looked at i think there are things that could be developed but unfortunately it won't be the purple pro that would do the terpenes it would be a different thing that would have to do the terpenes um, and same when we get into heavy metals and pesticides, like when you're working on parts per billion with pesticides and the regulated testing, that reflection isn't really there. 
Um, but I can say, uh, you know, as a, a full blown turp head that I am and what I love to do, uh, there's a lot of talks on, on how a new device or new technology would be able to do terpenes. So, you know, it's not under lock and key that much because I'll talk about it, but it is under lock and key that it won't be the purple pro. And I don't know how fast that'll occur either. Um, mostly because technologies to measure terpenes have not been found to be mobile and small enough. So, I mean, like, uh, the purple pro itself is about the size of a hockey puck. Uh, the coaster that you put your drink on, if it was an inch and a half tall, it's about that size. Um, and so there's some limitations with technology to do terpenes that we're still trying to work out. So I think if, if I can say that we're trying to work it out, I know something's hopefully coming at some point in the, in the future, but it won't be the near future. That's great to hear. I know a lot of people are very much keen to hear more about that. I um I wanted to ask you about one of the most interesting things from a, a private discussion we had uh, last time we spoke was how you were talking to me about how the unit can be used for pheno hunting. And as someone who does a lot of pheno hunting and a bit of breeding myself, I was really keen to hear more because that sounds like revolutionary. What sort of role do you see the unit playing and how have people used it to aid in their pheno hunts that you're aware of? So... The biggest the biggest way I can describe it in pheno hunting is that and and from a breeding life and project and I mean I've been involved with tens and tens um, I can maybe say a hundred but definitely over fifty different breeding projects in my previous stuff with purple I've worked on probably ten or twelve but with pheno hunting obviously we're looking for a keeper or we're looking for multiple keepers. And before it used to be a couple different, you know, little columns that you were trying to check. Yeah, it has bag appeal. Yeah, it matures fast. Yeah, it has weight. Yeah, it has good color. But in pheno hunting, there weren't a lot of people that were actually uh, able to access data on potency. So the first thing with the the Purple Pro was, all right, you just finished a pheno hunt, and these are the ten that you wanted to keep based on the other criteria. Let's test them and get you a number to see where they at. And mostly, like we talked about at the beginning of this, that most of the people are finding out that the ones they really like are, you know, 20 to 24. And so they probably had some 28s, 29s, and 27s that they threw away because maybe it didn't have bag appeal. Maybe it wasn't color. Maybe it didn't yield the most. Um, and I will say specifically not yielding as much as other pants does have some indication on potency. I don't know why it is, but less buds usually means more potency. And more buds sometimes means less potency for some reason within how the plant does all of it. So that's where we started in 2019. Uh, and that was on a pheno hunt that, that I ran with a bunch of genetics from an orange mints line that, that we created with a bunch of other really great uh, stuff from the female side. And so at that point, we were like, all right, well, now, obviously, when we run a pheno hunt, we're going to have to keep all these seeds. And we're going to have to keep every one and test them to figure out which one is the keeper because... If we're throwing away high potency, who knows what else we're throwing away with the ones that we didn't keep because you're only keeping 10 out of 200 or 5 out of 100 or whatever. So the next round that we went through was with uh, an outside source and a very good friend of mine that's here in the States. And what we started doing is we started testing samples in week two, week four, week six, week eight. And what we could see is with the Purple Pro device – you can start to see CBG translate into THC and CBD. So week two, there's not a lot going on. And we're, I mean, literally drying out, you know, a couple leaves, grinding them up, doing it, whatever. By the time we got to week four, we started to see little bits of THC showing up throughout the pheno hunt. By week six, we were able to see most of them, but also how the numbers correlated. You know, like, hey, you know, seed number 17 is at 6% already in week six. But seed number 10 is only a two. Well, do we want to keep the two? Is the two magically going to get bigger? So then, you know, by week six, week eight, you're starting to see real numbers. By week eight, if you want to go into 10 and 12 and all that stuff with your sativas, you start to see a bunch of other stuff going down. So now through those projects, what, what we have understood and the last application that we did was we did a 400 seed hunt with a breeding company. And by week six, we were able to get them from 400 seeds down to 150 seeds. So what this did was save on water, save on nutrients, save on labor, save on light space. And by week eight, we were down to like 
about 60 or 70 seeds total of the 400. And then they wanted to grow those out through completion. And by saving space, labor, nutrients, and everything else, they were able to take a previous pheno hunt that they had done and started to work those seeds faster. So the room that had 400 seeds and now only has 60 or 70 seeds has room for your Gen 3 of whatever line to be tested and grown out by the 10 that you're trying to keep there. My cultivation background, I was like, well, you know, more importantly than anything, if we can just save you on water and labor and you go from 400 seeds to 80 seeds that fast, then that's what we need to do. So I don't think there's, you know, a huge way to change a lot of that stuff, but that's, that's how it goes on how it can work in pheno hunting is that not only can we save actual dollars, but we're able to kind of increase the projects as fast as possible so that you can work on things faster and you can find a real keeper with a potency now, right? Like you, you look at a lot of those seed packaging and they have a potency number on them. And also they say how fast they're going to mature. I mean, if they haven't been tested and they don't know, a lot of those numbers don't, don't have, they don't mean anything. They're just put on there to fill space. Yeah, certainly. Certainly. I uh, had one last question for you before we wrap up. I, I wanted to ask you, because I think anyone who's got a purple will probably have discovered this same thing. Um, there are a bunch of really weird, high production quality smear ads for purple online. And it's, and it's, so, it's so weird because like you can tell it's like bullshit, but it seems like there's so much money being put into making these ads. Or maybe I'm giving them too much credit, but it's so odd. I will ask: Is this is this one of the the tea bag videos that's from Canada? Because that's one of the ones I hear about. Well, yeah, it made me think: Is this some disgruntled employee? Because it's and and the claims they make are ludicrous. Like there's ones on YouTube where it's like someone's like, "I owned a dispensary and bought ten pounds of CBD bud because the purple said it was THC," and it's and it's just these weird shit where you're like, "Well, wouldn't you like that's just on you, mate? That's a stupid statement to make." Right. But but what I'm interested in is it, it seems like it's very much like a targeted campaign, and maybe from like a company, like a competitor or something. Like it's very off-putting. Like, what's the deal with that? So originally, what had happened is that in Canada there was a a, a podcast, a, vi- a video cast or whatever, um, and they had put some Lipton iced tea or something on the device. So obviously we. We spent years testing cannabis. We don't put, you know, grass from your lawn and a bunch of other stuff on there. So there was a video of putting some Lipton tea on there and it read out that it had THC in it. And I guess, you know, from from our science core, they're like, well, if you know it's Lipton iced tea, you know that, I mean, that doesn't matter. It's that you're trying to test cannabis and see what's up with that or hemp, you know, one of the two. So that that video definitely went, I would say, somewhat viral. And it wasn't from any competitor. There is there is no disgruntled employee. We only have like six employees total. So it's not that aspect. But I do know that there are people that make other devices that grabbed that video and kind of ran with it. Um, and I do know that there are some competitors that I'll, I'll never waste time naming, but they they have put a lot of money into it. And I think you know, in, internally at Purple, what I tell everybody, I'm like, hey, if people are trying to hack you down and people are trying to do that, Obviously, something's working well. You know, we have thousands of devices out across the whole entire globe that are doing something. But every now and then you have one of those that'll that'll pop up. The funniest one about the one that you mentioned about buying the 10 pounds of CBD is that in Amsterdam currently, there's 50 different coffee shops just in Amsterdam that use it throughout their purchasing process every single day for that exact reason that they don't want to buy CBD so about a year ago, there was an influx of this hemp and CBD flour that they were trying to sell to coffee shops in Amsterdam. And our, our European distributor, who does an unbelievable job, started coming in. And they're like, no, we'll test it for you. No, we'll test it for you. And that eventually made every coffee shop pretty much buy one. And all of that CBD-heavy hemp flour then started to migrate down to Spain because they were trying to sell it at the coffee shops in Barcelona and everywhere else. So those people that own those businesses and the people that own the businesses in Amsterdam talk all the time. So a lot of the places in Barcelona all have a purple as well. And before they buy anything, they test it on there. And it's because there's nowhere else to test anything. So in Amsterdam, there's no regulated labs. In Spain, there's no regulated labs. In Thailand, there's no regulated labs. They use the Purple Pro not as like a mandatory regulated lab, but they do use it for their purchasing power. So they're like, hey, man, you know, this is only 8%. 
I'm not paying you the same as the guy that just brought us the 16%. But I will, I will tell you, you know, the, the, I think it is, it, it is funny that they're considered smear ads or et cetera, because a lot of the people talk to me about them. They're like, dude, I saw this crazy video. Like, what's up with that? I know you work at Purple. I'm like, well, this is the perfect time for me to tell you about the Purple Pro now. So I think it's backfired in that realm. Um, but the teabag one is, is a funny one just because, like, I tell people all the time, dude, if you put a cucumber on there, like, what, did, you, did you smoke the cucumber? Like, you know what it is. It's about human logic, and then it's about device logic. Um, and the device is not supposed to tell you what everything is. It's not going to tell you what a banana plant is. It's going to tell you what, what cannabis or hemp is because that's obviously what it's been developed to do. Um, but it is, it is a, it is a really funny question. I would say probably once every two weeks, somebody that I'm speaking with wants to ask me about it. And, and same thing, like with what you just brought up, I'm like, I got no issue talking about it. Like as soon as you get a purple pro in your hand, you'll figure out what you want to believe. But I will say there's some unbelievable production and editing that they've put into those videos. I mean, they, they look like they're really nice videos for sure. Yeah. It's so, um, it's so weird because it feels like to me is such a backfire like this. The videos are so disingenuous. It's obvious from the word go. And it's just like, yeah, it's just like, fuck, get someone from like PR on your team. Cause this is not a good PR move for the, the company trying to do this. It's just, yeah, it, it's so unbelievable that it makes you want to go get the purple and try it out. I feel like it's, it's so far fetched. It's almost like I got to see this for myself. It's like, when you watch a bunch of crazy shit on TV and you're like, there's no way it's that bad. And then you want to go grab it. It's, it's, it's an interesting tactic, but yeah, I mean, I, I hear about them. I see the funniest part is, is that, I mean, I have a lot of friends in the cannabis industry in the States. And so I get sent, you know, DMS or texts or all like, dude, have you seen this one? This is the craziest I've ever seen. And I'm like, yeah, man. And then literally like the next thing is like, Oh shit, my buddy wants to buy one of those. I forgot to hit you up last week. And I'm like, all right, well, let's get him a purple pro. Um, it's, it's, it is hilarious to me, but I would agree with you. It's, you know, somebody's putting some time and effort into that. I just don't think it's working out the way they want to. Yeah. Hugely, hugely. What's that old saying? Um, focus on building your castle rather than knocking others down. So there you go. Well, yeah, glad to hear it. It did strike me as a, a poor business decision on their part, but whatever, you know, it brings eyes to you. Love it. I think that pretty much runs over most things I wanted to chat about with you today. Was there anything you wanted to touch on that we haven't mentioned so far? No, I mean, I think the biggest thing, you know, from, from my background and what I love to do, like, you know, if, if you're, if you're on the fence about trying to grow something, try some out, grow something. You got to kill a lot of plants before you're ever going to grow 27% or 29%. Um, so, you know, the further, the further you get down that journey, the better the fruit gets. And you got to start the journey at some point. So, you know, I, I hope everybody can can get as involved as they want to. If you're just a, a smoker, then that's great, too. If you want to try to figure out if you're a green thumb, it's a whole different rabbit hole that you can explore just like anything else in life. You know, there's gear and there's genetics and there's what time of year is best and there's outdoor and there's indoor. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I would say my, my parting words are not necessarily just purple scientific, but anything and everything you can do to grow more cannabis on the planet is, is kind of the goal on what all the forefathers in this industry wanted to see happen. So, you know, put a seed in the ground and see what you can do. A beautiful sentiment. So once again, huge thank you to John from Purple Scientific for joining us today to talk about the Purple Pro. And just as a final one, if people were keen to give the Purple Pro a try, what do you recommend they do to make that happen? Uh, so there's a couple of different ways. If you just want to talk about it, you can hit me up on Instagram. Uh, it's at Grimy Gatsby, G-R-I-M-E-Y-G-A-T-S-B-Y. Uh, -E uh, it'll come up, you know, it, hit me up, drop me a DM if you want to talk about what you're doing or how you think it may be best used. If you are at the point where you do want to just purchase one, www.getpurple, there's no E on purple.com is where we sell them. Um, and, you know, I, I hope that at some point, We'll have some people down in Australia that'll be selling them and I can come down there and visit. But I mean, anywhere that you are, wherever you're listening, if you want to talk about it, let me know. If you do want to purchase one, we can get you taken care of somewhere. But that'd be the the easiest way to, to try to grab one if you want to. And, you know, if there's four or five people listening that are all buddies, you guys can all go in and grab one and see how it works or test it out. And I mean, it's it comes in a, in a Pelican case, hard case with everything in it. You can pass it around. You know, here in the States, Croptober is coming, so there's about to be a lot of flowers to test in the next couple of months, which I'm really stoked to see. 
jump on it if you're interested. I've been enjoying mine a lot. So once again, big shout out, John. Thanks for joining us. It's been great. So there you have it, friends. What do you think? Definitely go check out the Purple Pro on Instagram. Take a look at the unit and see if it interests you. As always, a huge shout out to our sponsors, Seeds Here Now, Simply Souvenirs, Copet Biological Systems, Pulse Sensors, and the one and only Patreon gang. We love you guys so much. That's about it for this one, friends. I'll see you for the next one. We'll see you.